Hey besties, it's Elizabeth here. Let's talk for a minute, shall we? I don't know about you, but something about a clean house just makes me feel super calm. Maybe it's the fresh smells. Maybe it's knowing that it's not going to be chaos in a wreck for 15 minutes. But if you're like me, you are constantly looking for cleaning and household products that are ethical, safe, and not full of all of those super harsh chemicals. And that's where Grove Collaborative comes in. They're a new partner of ours, and they have ethical and cruelty-free brands such as Mrs. Myers and Method. Not only do they have cleaning products, but they also sell beauty products, health products such as vitamins, and even stuff for the kids like sunscreen, shampoo. And they're also in the process of reducing their plastic use and switching to glass. So not only are they trying to give you products that are safe for your family, but they're trying to save the planet. You can help support the show as well as get items you already need by going to grove.pxf.io slash horrendous. And by using this link, not only do you help support our show, but you're also going to get stuff that you already need. And then you'll get yourself a free Mrs. Myers gift set with a $30 purchase. And the best part of all is that you're not stuck with some monthly commitment. So go to grove.pxf.io slash horrendous to get your free Mrs. Myers gift set with your $30 purchase today. Thanks, besties. Hi, welcome to Horrendous, a best friends podcast. I'm Callie, and Elizabeth is here with me, and we're both very tired, and... Um, and I'm going on hour 586 of what feels like forever of being iced in with my family. Yeah, it really hasn't <laughs> been that long, but... <laughs> it's been 84 years. Elizabeth's a bit uh, dramatic today. I am, you know what... I- I think I've earned the right. I had to clean up dog poop at 4 a.m. this morning. I had to clean up baby poop at 4 o'clock this morning. I would have rather been doing that. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Yeah. Um, No, I'm just exhausted. But you know what? Thank God for my, or goddess, whomever, whatever you subscribe to. Thank the higher power that my uh, husband stayed home today. Because he, quote, wasn't driving in that shit and wrecking his truck. <laughs> I respect it. And he made breakfast and helped the kids with their virtual learning today. That's very kind of him. It was. It was a blessing in disguise. You know what? Fuck that. They're his no. kids, too. It's yeah. expected. <laughs> no, true. But, you know, I he's been having a lot of back problems, so... That's only the only reason why I'm really, like, giving him any kind of, like, hey, good for you. Like, because his back's been hurting. Like, he's had a lot of back issues lately. Okay, I'll let him slide this time. We'll allow it. Yeah, so just been trapped in the house all day. It is slicker than snot outside. Just solid sheets of ice. We have a wind advisory, so. Well, we were supposed to have anywhere between... Quote, one to 24 inches. (laughs) So they were really just covering every angle. Like, you may get some, but you may get a ton. We're not quite sure yet. We have northeast winds 25 to 35 miles per hour with gusts up to 55 miles per hour. Yeah, for those uh, listening, we've now become a weather podcast. (laughs) We feel like that's an uh, uncornered podcasting market. So, welcome to Horrendous. A weather podcast. A winter, a winter weather podcast. Sweater weather. <laughs> <laughs> it is sweater weather indeed. It is so effing cold. It's 61 here. Hook <sighs> off. But you know what? I find that freezing now. <laughs> Whatever. It's disgusting. Ah. Uh. My blood has thinned, as they say. Your blood is thinned. <laughs> Pokemon came out. Yeah, the new Arceus game. Uh-huh. 
Uh, yeah, that's been real popular in my house. Yeah, I I was playing it instead of editing the episode that should have came out like a week and a day ago. So, yeah. But we're not going to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> got a lot going on. Got a lot going on. I'm going to blame my own Pokemon, though. <laughs> I, I think that's good. I, do you want to talk about the Joe Rogan thing or no? <sighs> not really. Okay. Then we won't. He doesn't need any more no. airtime. He doesn't. He has enough. Yeah. There was a TikTok video and it's like today. It said, how is nobody addressing the fact that this asshole looks like Uncle Fester? Yeah. I see And I was it. like, yeah, yeah, you know what? He kind of does. He kind of does. He looks like a bald Christopher Lloyd. Only I think Christopher Lloyd's more handsome. <laughs> Yeah. Isn't that who played Uncle Fester? Yes. Okay. Yeah, you're, you nailed it. <laughs> I mean, of course, in our day, Adam's family, not the 19-whatever show. Before film. Oh, no. Adam's <laughs> family was not in the 80s. Hold on. That was Hold like 50s. Breaks. No. It was the 60s, and they all had to wear pink. So that when they filmed in black and white, it would look black. Fun fact. You're welcome. <laughs> that would be a very different show if it was in color. Where are those photos? That's what I want to know. <laughs> they had color back then. But they chose to film in black and white because it's the Adams family. I don't know. I feel like it's been like kind of a quiet week. The Pam and Tommy show came out on Hulu. Oh, I don't watch that. I haven't watched it either, but I'm only bringing it up because you know how much I love yes. one Sebastian Stan. <laughs> and he did an interview with Jimmy Kimmel where they were talking about like method acting and stuff. And his acting coach was uh, the same coach that, why am I blanking? Helen Hunt had for as good as it gets. She played a waitress in that movie and her acting coach said, you need to put nickels in your shoes so that when you walk, you know what it's like to walk around for 12 hours a day. So Sebastian Stan felt like, you know, he needed to <laughs> uh, walk a mile in Tommy Lee's shoes, I guess. And so what he did was he got metal balls and I don't know what he hung them on, but he used it so he could feel the weight of having a larger uh, appendage. Okay. And then... He he washed them and gave them to Jimmy Kimmel. I thought it was hysterical. That's not a gift I would want to receive. I mean, maybe, I mean. <laughs> I don't care who they've been on. I don't want them. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe the he, Maybe they weren't really the ones he was wearing, but he still gave them to him. And I thought it was hysterical. I don't know. There's not a lot going on in the world right now. I binge watched... The Ozark season four, although I did not finish it. I've not watched a single episode of that show. And oh my God, Laura Linney is so good at playing an absolute cunt. And Jason Bateman, I just love him. Well, because he's Jason Bateman. That's it. Uh, we were <laughs> trying to watch like the first 20 minutes of Dune, the new one. Um, but the children were being loud, so we had to turn it off. Oh, Jason Momoa and Lisa Bonet got divorced. Yeah, that's been news, though. That made me really sad. It made me sad as well. But she seems like a very intense person. And I respect her. I think she's a badass. I'm a little scared of her. Yeah, she's very intense. (laughs) Very intense. And the Batman's getting ready to come out. I'm very stoked for that. Speaking of, why are you making that face? This is the same wine I drank with the last episode, so it's a little sour. Oh, oh, (laughs) no. No, no. Yeah, but speaking of Lisa Bonet, Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman, I am a thousand percent here for it. Oh, that's a good choice. It's It's impeccable casting. Yeah. I'm not that into Batman, though. Uh, Well, we all know, I 
effing love Batman. Yeah. Love. We'll have Batman. to uh, credit Colin and put up that picture of baby Keely. Yes. Yes, Bat Baby. <laughs> that picture is so funny. Those are so funny. No, we need to do the whole series because they were all hysterical. Oh my god, Colin did an amazing job on that. Shout out to Colin. Yeah, that was just doing the Lord's work. That was. <laughs> this is using your powers for good. Yes. Okay, so yesterday oh. it is the second Groundhog's Day. Happy Groundhog's Day, my favorite holiday did you hear because about it's the really ground- weird. Yes. He's dead. The groundhog that died. (laughs) (laughs) That's not funny. (laughs) But it is Black History Month. And we're doing another Badass Women episode. We are. Okay. Yes, it is the second day of Black History Month. And we are doing Badass Ladies again. And I will also on our Facebook be, I'm going to try to do daily posts. It's a bit of too much of a commitment. So I will be doing random posts throughout the month, highlighting amazing, badass people of color uh, for Black History Month. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm the one who doesn't have a job and should be doing it, but I'm tired. You have a newborn. That's I your do. excuse. And we don't have money to hire somebody to do it for us. This is true. So if anyone wants to intern. One day. Yeah, we if we could use a free intern. <laughs> we'll be nice to you, we promise. Depends on the day. Yeah, we'll get you a gift card to your favorite restaurant. Again, <laughs> depends on the day. Depends on the day. Depends on the day. <laughs> You can use the Target gift cards I get for free because I buy so much. And they give out those free gift cards. You can have all (laughs) those. Right. Okay, so I think Elizabeth is going to start us out. All right, yep. I sure am. And I have... So I really wanted... I wanted to put a lot of thought into this. And I wanted to do somebody I don't think a lot of people were familiar with. Which I think is... Kind of the vibe we both were trying to go with, with the first episode and this one. Uh And I did, you know, a Google search, as you do. And I kept seeing this name. A couple, I shouldn't say I kept seeing this name. I saw this name a couple times and I, you know, read one of the articles and was immediately impressed. And so here we are. (laughs) Before we, (laughs) sorry, I'm so tired. Uh, before we get started, let me just go ahead and say our sources. Mine were rollingstone.com, wikipedia, npr.org, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, afropunk.com, which was a very cool website, you discover music, and blackhistory.com. Okay, so we all know names like Chuck Berry, Elvis Presley. Muddy Waters, and Little Richard, just to, you know, name a few. These are all blues and rock and roll giants, without a doubt. These names are synonymous with both of those musical genres. And they're always credited with either the birth of rock and roll or just revolutionizing that genre of music. But these are just some of the men who have forever become seen as the founders of rock and roll. However, did you know... It was a queer black woman who started, who should be getting the credit. Sister Rosetta Tharp, and I'm going to use a quote from Rolling Stone, whose first hit was the, was the transformed spiritual Rock Me, recorded with her soaring notes and sexy growls back in 1938, back when the latter day king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley, was still a toddler. <laughs> she was shredding her guitar and touring while many of who we know as the forefathers of rock music were either toddlers or weren't even born yet. But I think that Gail Wald, Rosetta Tharp biographer sums it up best. And she said, quote, she influenced Elvis Presley. She influenced Johnny Cash. She influenced little Richard. She influenced innumerable, 
innumerable other people who were who we recognize as the foundational figures of rock and roll. And though many early rock figures, such as Chuck Berry, give Rosetta Tharp her due for her influence on them, it has taken the music industry a really long time to do that very same thing. And what is even more sad and frustrating is that there are still people who don't even know she existed. And I'm one of those people. I'm not going to pretend I knew who she was. Like I said in the beginning, I was Googling people and I found the name and I you know, read her story and it struck me. And this was disappointing because I took several classes both in high school and college that covered music history. And when I took my history of rock music class in college, when we covered the origins of the genre, she wasn't even a footnote in the textbook. I'm not surprised. Yeah, no, I was not surprised by this at all. Because that's just how it is. Right. But because of me doing research for this episode, I got to learn about a badass lady and I did go and I YouTubed her performances and I listened to her songs. And let me tell you, she was just an amazing talent. And I really got to be exposed to a true rock and roll queen. So let's learn more about her. Rosetta Tharp was born as Rosetta Newbin in 1915 in Cotton Plant, Arkansas. Her parents, Katie Bell Newbin and Willis Atkins, were cotton pickers. Rosetta's mother was a musical badass herself, who was also a singer, as well as a mandolin player. And additionally, she was a women speaker for the Church of God in Christ and a, a deaconess missionary. The Church of God in Christ is very important because this would actually be the space and the people that would encourage young Rosetta. The pastor of the church... Charles Harrison Mason encouraged worship through rhythmic expression, really encouraged women to teach and to sing in the church. And if you know anything about evangelical churches and especially churches during this time, women being encouraged to teach in the church is not really a thing. Right. And they um, and all of the parishioners were encouraged to dance and praise. And this church, the Church of God in Christ, I believe I read was a uh, Pentecostal church. So the dancing and praise actually makes a little bit of sense because I think we've discussed before, uh, you know, the Pentecostal denomination. They are the ones who speak in tongues and they really they really feel the spirit. Yes. Rosetta's mother actually encouraged her to sing and to learn how to play the guitar. And it was at the age of four that she would do this and was actually considered a musical prodigy. By the time she was six, Rosetta and her mother were traveling as part of an evangelical troupe that would hold or participate revivals across the South in which she was billed as a guitar playing and singing miracle. Soon after, Katie would move herself and Rosetta to Elizabeth's favorite city in the world, Chicago, where they would continue to perform gospel concerts, but at a more permanent home, Robert's Temple Church of God in Christ. That's a mouthful. And though they did still travel to different churches to perform, this experience of traveling around the South and performing in Chicago would heavily influence her, would really influence her musical style later in life. Rosetta's love of music and performing would stay with her as she grew into adulthood. Her talent and reputation as a musical prodigy earned her fame in the gospel community, and she stood out because female guitarists, especially black female guitarists, were extremely rare. In 1934, at the age of 19, Rosetta married a Church of God in Christ minister, Thomas Tharp. And Tharp would accompany Rosetta and Katie on their many tours. And Rosetta would actually keep this last name the remainder of her life, even though she would go on to remarry. She, this is just the name she kept. In 1938, after only four years of marriage, Rosetta left Thomas and moved to New York City with her mother. However, this was not the only change for her that year. 1938 would be the year everything changed for her. In October, Rosetta recorded four sides at Decca Records, backed by Lucky Millianders Jazz Orchestra. This would be the first gospel songs recorded by Decca, which would be turned, which would turn out to be instant hits. 
Rosetta would continue her musical journey by playing with popular acts at the time, such as the Jordanaires and Cab Calloway. She would even sign a seven-year contract with Lucky Millionaire, as well as collaborate with big names such as Duke Ellington and the Dixie Hummingbirds. Rosetta began playing venues such as the Cotton Club in Harlem with Cab Calloway and at Carnegie Hall with John Hammond, not to be confused with the John Hammond from Jurassic Park, um, (laughs) in his spirituals to swing. These performances gained Rosetta even more popularity, and she continued to play, but she continued to play in secular (laughs) clubs, and this would actually cause her to lose many of her more conservative religious fans, because she was playing in clubs along scantily clad uh, showgirls or dancers, and again, she's a woman playing the guitar, and she wasn't playing music that you know, I guess necessarily was deemed appropriate for women. And by 1943, Rosetta actually wanted to go back to playing strictly gospel music, but she was still under contract with Lucky Millionaire, so she was required to continue to play contemporary and more worldly material. That same year, she was just one of two gospel acts which were allowed to record V-discs or victory discs, which were records recorded and sent to the service members overseas fighting in World War II. In 1944, Rosetta recorded the song Strange Things Are Happening Every Day with pianist Sammy Price. This song would be the first gospel song to appear on the Billboard Harlem Hit Parade. It is also this song, Strange Things Are Happening Every Day, that is actually considered the first rock and roll song. And which is interesting because when you learn about rock and roll in school, that's not really uh, what you're told. <laughs> What's the one that you're told? Well, I feel like we're always we always learned about it was like Buddy Holly or the the song from uh, Happy Days or Elvis. It's always one of those songs, and so I found it very interesting. That in 1944, you have this song recorded by a, you know, woman of color that's actually now considered to be the first rock and roll song. Okay. Throughout the 40s, Rosetta continued to tour with the Dixie Hummingbirds and with other gospel artists as her backup singers. In 1946, Rosetta found herself back in New York City at a concert featuring Malia Jackson and Marie Knight. Rosetta was taken with the talented Marie, who was on the piano. Rosetta decided she needed Knight to work with her, and so she tracked her down. She found out where Marie lived and showed up on her doorstep, begging Marie to come work with her. Marie agreed, and the two began a years-long professional relationship recording songs such as Up Above My Head and Gospel Train, as well as touring the gospel circuit together. However... It isn't just a professional relationship the two would begin. By many accounts, it was an open secret in the music world that Rosetta and Marie were in a romantic relationship as well. The two women would work together, would continue to work and tour together through the rest of the 1940s. In 1949, there began to be a shift in their professional dynamic as Marie began to gain more popularity and fame than Rosetta. Allegedly, this took a slight toll on the romantic relationship, but it wasn't until the very tragic deaths of Marie Knight's mother and children in a house fire that the relationship really began to see its end. Marie was understandably grief-stricken by the awful loss of not just her mom, but her children. So, obviously, she was having a little trouble coping with this. I mean... It's devastating. Yeah. And this put a huge strain on their romantic relationship. So in 1950, the pair amicably parted ways, but despite their romantic relationship ending, the two would actually continue to partner up to record music and perform together occasionally. The result of this was another huge hit for Rosetta, which was You Gotta Move. In 1951, just a year after her relationship with Marie ended, Rosetta would actually marry her manager, a man named Russell Morrison. But this isn't just any wedding. Now, listen, this is some Kanye West shit. I really feel like this is something I, I'm surprised Kanye West did not do this when he married Kim Kardashian. 
Rosetta and Russell married in front of 25,000 paying fans at Griffith Stadium in Washington, D.C. The ceremony was followed by a concert by Rosetta herself and her backup singers, the Rosettes, and this performance was recorded and later released as an LP. So, yeah, I really feel like I'm very surprised that Kanye West actually did not do some stupid shit like that when he married Kim Kardashian. Right. Like, he, I mean, he did propose to her, like, an empty Dodger stadium or wherever the hell it was, but I'm really surprised he didn't try to, you know, monetize his wedding more than he already did. Rosetta continued to make music throughout the 1950s and was booked by Chris Barber, a British trombonist, to do a month-long tour in the United Kingdom in 1957. However, while she was still touring and making music, her popularity began to subside with the rise of rock and roll music, with acts such as Elvis Presley, Buddy Holly, Jerry Lee Lewis, and many others vying for the title of the King of Rock and Roll. But this did not stop her from touring. She continued to tour through the remainder of the 1950s and into the early 1960s. By 1964, when folk music was having a revival, Rosetta was invited to perform in what is considered her most famous performance as part of the Folk and Gospel Caravan Tour in England with performers such as Muddy Waters and the Reverend Gary Davis, Rosetta performed at an abandoned railroad station in Manchester. She arrived in a horse-drawn carriage wearing a fur coat looking like utter royalty and it was raining that day, so she, but she didn't let it stop her from walking across the platform, risking electrocution when she plugged in her guitar and started playing a soulful and beautiful rendition of Didn't It Rain. This performance was broadcast nationwide by Granada Television. So she was doing Gavin Rosdale shit before Gavin Rosdale did it. Right. Remember that spring break performance? He played Glycerin <laughs> in the rain and he was like, he could have been electrocuted at any time. Yeah. This was that, this was that, like 40 years before he did that. Yeah. Badass. Despite this groundbreaking performance, Rosetta's fame and popularity did not get the same bump as other gospel, blues, and R&B acts did during the late 60s and early 70s. She did continue to perform, with her last known recorded performance being for Danish TV in 1970, where she sang the Thomas Dorsey song, Take My Hand, Precious Lord, a song that was also covered by Elvis. Soon after, Rosetta would suffer a stroke, and this ended her touring career. She would suffer, I know, yeah, it gets sadder. She suffered another blow to her health when she had to receive a leg amputation due to complications from diabetes. Rosetta lived out the remainder of her life in Philadelphia with her mother. On October 9th, 1973, Sister Rosetta Tharp passed away at the age of 58 from another stroke. She was scheduled to go into the studio to record on the 10th, so she was planning on recording more music. And sadly, despite being such a revolutionary musician who toured not only across the United States and in Europe, she had a very small funeral and was buried in an unmarked grave. Aww. Marie Knight, her former professional and romantic partner, Chose Rosetta's clothing and did her makeup for the funeral, which made me cry when I read that. It would. You're sad. I'm a, I'm a big fucking baby. <laughs> um, yeah, that really, that hit me. Uh, the decades following her death, many musicians continued to cite her as an inspiration for them. However, her music was not typically given the credit it deserved by historians or the music industry, for that matter, for being the trailblazer she was. But in the 2000s, this oversight began to be rectified. In 2007, she was inducted into the Blues Hall of Fame. 2008, there was a concert held to raise funds for a marker for her grave, so she is no longer in an unmarked grave. In 2011, BBC4 aired a one-hour documentary about her life titled Sister Rosetta Tharp, Godmother of Rock and Roll. In 2018, she was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame by Alabama, Alabama Shakes singer Brittany Howard. 
Here are some quotes about Sister Rosetta Tharp. When you see Elvis Presley singing early in his career, imagine he is channeling Sister Rosetta Tharp. It is not an image that I think we're used to thinking about when we think of rock and roll history. We don't think about the black woman behind the white young man. And that's from Gail Wald. Uh, She's a historian and she's a Rosetta Tharp biographer. I'm sure there are a lot of English guys who picked up electric guitars after getting a look at her. And that was from Bob Dylan. Oh, I love Bob Dylan. I got another Bob Dylan quote. I know you love Bob Dylan. She was a big, good-looking woman and divine, not to mention sublime and splendid. She was a powerful force of nature, a guitar-playing, singing evangelist. And this is about herself. Can't no man play like me. I play better than any man. That was Sister Rosetta Tharp herself. I like it. Yeah, right? My career has been... My career was long, one long Sister Rosetta Tharp impersonation. That was Chuck Berry. I thought you were going to say that was her. Yeah, right. Wait, what? She was playing. <laughs> she was playing rock and roll way before anybody else. It was Lonnie Lister Smith, a powerful voice and groundbreaking technique, and that was Brittany Howard when she inducted uh, Rosetta Tharp into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And this final one is from Rosetta herself. Oh, these kids and their rock and roll. It's just sped up rhythm and blues. I've been doing that forever. So no matter how you look at it, Sister Rosetta Tharp was a revolutionary. She fused gospel with electric guitar in a time when women were not encouraged to pick up the guitar and play the way she did. The fact it has taken so long for people, including myself, to become familiar with her music is a travesty. She was a pioneer and a badass who deserves the overdue credit she's now receiving for her contribution to what we know as rock and roll and rhythm and blues. And that is Sister Rosetta Tharp. And I did pull up the YouTube clip and watch it of her performance at the at the railway station in Manchester. I mean, I, I had goosebumps. Like, she had just such a powerful voice. She was just extremely talented. You'll have to post it to the blog. Oh, absolutely. No, I'm going to share a couple clips to the blog because I think everybody, I mean, she just... Just power. That's the only way I can. It's the only word. Powerful. And just full of so much soul. Just amazing. So if I die before you, I would expect you to pick out my makeup and clothes. Okay. Same. I mean. You know, I look good in blue. I know. I know (laughs) what to put you in. Jesus. (laughs) Blues and grays. Uh (laughs) And you in a corn t-shirt. Yeah. My uh, second Twisted Tour 1999 yes. shirt. <laughs> there you go. Was that 99? Um, That's a good question. It might have been 99. <laughs> okay. So my sources are mostly Wikipedia. I'm sorry. I had to do it. CMGWW.com, Britannica, historicmissourians.shsmo.com, womenshistory.org, biography.com, npr.org, theguardian.com, cbsnews.com. Okay. So our first Badass Women episode, I was looking up. Badass women, as you do. Mm-hmm. And this one came, I came across, really stood out to me. She was an entertainer. She was part of the French resistance. She was part of the civil rights movement. All these things. I was like, wow, this is a badass woman of color. And then I looked more into her and then found out she was born in Missouri, in St. Louis. Up. To be. Shut up. St. <laughs> Louis. Shut up. To be exact. And I was really, like, everything, you know, here's the thing. Everything with this show always comes back full circle. If it's not fucking St. Louis, it's Chicago. Yeah. If it's not Chicago, it's St. Louis. It's just, <laughs> we're stuck in this Midwest loop. But that's amazing. I had no idea. Yeah. So she was born in St. Louis and I was like, of course she was. Of course she was. 
Of course. So I'm excited to talk about a badass woman of color who's from our home state. So, well, Elizabeth's home state is technically Illinois, but she grew up in Missouri, so whatever. I have two home states. (laughs) Three if you count South Carolina, so let's do it. Okay. (laughs) So I'm going to be talking about Josephine Baker. Yeah, I know. I know of her, but I don't know a lot about her. So I'm very excited about this. I never heard of her, to be honest. But like just reading about her, I was like, oh, this is awesome. I grew up in like a shell, a bubble, not a shell, a bubble. And I didn't watch a lot of TV. And if I did, it was like sci fi or horror. And same with the books I read. It was mostly horror books. Yeah, I didn't know much about anything. (laughs) So, Josephine Baker, originally Frida Josephine McDonald, was born in St. Louis, Missouri on June 3rd, 1906, to a washerwoman, Carrie McDonald, and a vaudeville drummer, Eddie Carson. Please ignore the screaming baby. I promise he is not by himself. Tell Jake to quit beating him. Yeah. Tell him to be nice to my baby. His dad is currently changing his diaper, and he hates having his diaper changed, so... Well, you know what, baby doesn't. Eddie abandoned Carrie and Josephine shortly after her birth. Carrie married a kind but perpetually unemployed man named Arthur Martin. The family grew to include a son and two more daughters. So, growing up in St. Louis... At that time, there was a lot of racial violence. You don't say. Yeah, don't say. And when she was 11, she witnessed some of this violence in East St. Louis. And in one of her speeches years later, she recalled what she had seen. And this is a direct quote from her. Do I need to, like, buckle up? It's not. I mean, it's bad, but it's. Okay. If you want to buckle up, you can buckle up. Okay. I can still see myself standing on the west bank of the Mississippi, looking over into East St. Louis and watching the glow of the burning of Negro homes lighting the sky. We children stood huddled together in bewilderment, frightened to death with the screams of the Negro families running across this bridge with nothing but what they had on their backs Mm. as their worldly belongings. So with this vision, I ran and ran and ran. That was kind of the time she grew up in. So since her stepdad was unemployed, Josephine being the oldest of the children, she started cleaning houses and babysitting for wealthy white families to help support her family at the age of eight. Mm. She was often treated poorly you don't say. And told, be sure not to kiss the baby. Fuck off. Sorry, Mima. She saw her first live performance at the age of nine. And when she saw that, she was like, this is what I want to be doing with my life. Talking about her hometown, she had later said the city had a terrible effect on her. She briefly returned to school two years later before running away from home at the age of 13 and finding work as a waitress at the old chauffeur's club. While waiting tables, she met and had a brief marriage, as in a couple of weeks, to Willie Wells. That's super brief. During the time, it was unusual for women to not depend on a man for financial support, which is something Josephine never did. Since she earned her own income, she was never afraid to leave a relationship when it was no longer satisfying or beneficial. Liz, okay, hold on. Can I just stop? I'm going to stop you for a second. Okay. To anybody listening, man, woman, they, person, if you, th- this is a lesson for all of us. Because if you are in a relationship, where you are not satisfied mentally, spiritually, romantically, what have you, you can walk away from it and it's okay. This is not something that is specifically women. I'll, I'll say specifically women are not taught that it's okay to walk away from an unfulfilling relationship. 
but men can be in these situations too and any any person any person can be in these type right. of situations uh but specifically women are taught at a very young age that you got to you got to make it work no. um no and my mima is one of these badass people who with the biological father of my mom and uncle was like, no, this is not working for me and divorced him. It was a single mom for many years. So again, lesson to all, if it ain't fulfilling you, goodbye. Yep. I agree. So, with sorry. That. That's my little soapbox for this episode. <laughs> Just wanted to share. It was around this time that Josephine first took up dancing, honing her skills both in clubs and in street performances. And by 1919, she was touring the United States with the Jones Family Band and the Dixie Steppers performing comedic skits. Josephine married again at the age of 15 to Will Baker in 1921. She left that marriage also, but kept his last name. Despite having been... Married to four men during her lifetime, she was also known to have relationships with women, including an early mentor, the blues singer Clara Smith. We have another queer black woman. Yes. Loving it. Um, it is said that she was also possibly in a romantic relationship with Frida Kahlo. Oh, cool. In 1923... Baker landed a role in the musical Shuffle Along as a member of the chorus, and the comedic touch that she brought to the part made her popular with audiences. Looking to expand her successes, she eventually moved to New York City and participated in the celebration of Black life and art, now known as the Harlem Re Renaissance. She was soon performing in Chocolate Dandies, and along with Ethel Waters in the floor show of the Plantation Club, where she again quickly became a crowd favorite. In 1925, she landed in Paris, which she instantly fell in love with. I'm glad she had that experience. Right. <laughs> she became famous there while singing and dancing in La Revue Negre. When that show closed, she went on to perform in La Folie du Jour at La Folie du Jour. Sure. Folie's Burger Theater. I know nothing about French. I'm trying my best. <laughs> You're doing okay. Josephine performed the Dance Sauvage. There you go. Her jaw-dropping performance, including a costume of... 16 artificial bananas strung into a skirt okay. submitted her celebrity status. Although her audiences were mostly white, Baker's performances followed African themes and style. Josephine rivaled Gloria Swanson and Mary Pickford as the most photographed woman in the world, and by 1927, she earned more than any entertainer in Europe. That's awesome. In later shows in Paris, she was often accompanied on stage by her pet cheetah named Chiquita. A pet cheetah? Get the hell out. Who wore a diamond collar. That is amazing. <laughs> the cheetah frequently escaped into the orchestra pit where it terrorized the muse musicians adding another element of excitement to the show. You want to know why? Because that cheetah said, I'm going to do what I want because I'm a cheetah. Yeah. Because <laughs> I am a wild animal that I'm should not be a wild animal that should be not a be pet. a pet. We don't condone the <laughs> um, domestication of wild animals. I do think it's badass that she had a cheetah, but we do not condone that behavior. Yeah. Because usually it's white trash that do it and they abuse their animals. Yeah. Oh. Tiger. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> After a while, Baker was the most successful American entertainer working in France. Ernest Hemingway called her the most sensational woman anyone ever saw. Hemingway spent hours talking with her in Paris bars. And also slept in the second floor of a bookshop. Picasso drew paintings depicting her alluring beauty. 
Picasso is a misogynistic piece of shit. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry, I'm making my own side notes. That's fine. Sean Coteau became friendly with her and helped vault her into international stardom. Baker endorsed a Baker Fix hair gel, bananas, shoes, and cosmetics, amongst other products. Oh! In 1929, Josephine became the first African-American star to visit Yugoslavia while on tour in Central Europe via the Orient Express. Where there was a murder. Yeah. In Belgrade, she performed at Luxor Balkanska, the most luxurious venue in the city at the time. She included parochialism into her routine as a nod to the local culture, and she donated some of the show's proceeds to poor children in Serbia. That's amazing. Sorry, not Serbia. 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 I put Burbia. Burbia. <laughs> Mistype. It happens. In Zagreb, she was received by adoring fans at the train station. However, some of her shows were canceled due to opposition from the local clergy and mortality police. So she didn't wear much clothing during her performances. Uh, so okay. it was a little risque. risque. During her travels in Yugoslavia, Baker was accompanied by Count Giuseppe Pepito Abatino. At the start of her career in France, Josephine had met Abatino, a Sicilian former stonemason who passed himself off as a count and who persuaded her to let him manage her. Abatino was not only her manager, but her lover as well. Mm. The two could not marry because she was still married to Willie Baker. You mean she didn't just say he was dead and expect people to believe it like Mary Otis Blackburn did? Yeah, no. She she was still married. During this time, she released her most successful song, Chae Dos Amours. The song <laughs> expressed the sentiment, I have two loves, my country and Paris. Hmm. Baker starred in four films, which found success only in Europe. Siren of the Tropics, which was a silent film. Zozo, Princess Tam Tam, and Fosse Alerte. Okay. I probably butchered all those. I am very sorry. No, I think you nailed it. <laughs> Under the management of Abatino, Josephine's stage and public persona, as well as her singing voice, were transformed. In 1934, she took the lead in a revival of Jacques Offenberg's opera La Creole, which premiered in December of that year for a six-month run at the Theater Marginee. Despite her popularity in France, Baker never attained the equivalent reputation in America. Uh, she starred in a 1936 revival of Siegfeld Foley's on Broadway, and it was not commercially successful, and later in the run, she was replaced by Gypsy Rose Lee. Ooh. Time Magazine referred to her as a Negro wench whose dancing and singing might be topped anywhere outside of Paris, while other critics said her voice was too thin and dwarf-like to fill the Winter Garden Theater. She returned to Europe heartbroken. This contributed to her becoming a French citizen and giving up her American citizenship. Josephine returned to Paris in 1937, married French industrialist Jean Lyon, and became just that, a French citizen. In September 1939, when France declared war on Germany in response to the invasion of Poland, Baker was recruited by the French Military Intelligence Agency as an honorable correspondent. She socialized with the Germans at embassies, ministries, nightclubs, charming them while sec secretly gathering information. Her cafe society fame enabled her to rub shoulders with those in the know from high-ranking 
Japanese officials to Italian and Vichy bureaucrats, reporting to the head of France counterintelligence, Jacques Apti, what she heard. She attended parties and gathered information at the Italian embassy without raising suspicion. When the Germans invaded France, Josephine left Paris and went to the Chateau de Milandis, her home in south of France. She housed people who were eager to help the free French effort and supplied them with visas. As an entertainer, she had an excuse for moving around Europe, visiting neutral nations such as Portugal, as well as some in South America. She carried information for transmission to England about airfields, harbors, and German troop concentrations in the west of France. Notes were written in invisible ink on Baker's sheet music. That's awesome. That's super clever. Later in 1941, she and her entourage went to the French colonies in North Africa. They stated reason was Baker's health since she was recovering from a case of pneumonia, but the real reason was to continue helping the resistance. From a base in Morocco, she made tours of Spain. She penned notes with information she gathered inside her underwear, counting on her fame to prevent being strip searched. She met the Pasha of Marrakech, whose support helped her through a miscarriage, the last of several. After the miscarriage, she developed an, an infection so severe it required a hysterectomy. That's awful. It is. The infection spread and she developed peritonitis and then sepsis. Oh, sepsis rough. After her recovery, she started touring to entertain British, French, and American soldiers in North Africa. The Free French had no organized entertainment network for their troops. So Baker and her entourage managed for the most part on their own. They allowed no civilians and charged no emission. After the war, Josephine was awarded the Resistance Medal by the French Committee of National Liberation, the Croix de Guerre by the French military, and was named a Chevalier of the Legion d'Honneur by General Charles de Gaulle. Yeah, Charles de Gaulle. In 1947, Josephine married her last husband, Joe Bouillon, a French composer and conductor. Their marriage lasted 14 years, but also ended in divorce. Although she was a French citizen, Josephine supported the civil rights movement during the 1950s. You know why? She was a badass. Yes. When she arrived in New York with her husband, Joe... They were refused reservations at 36 hotels because of racial discrimination. Of course they were. She was so upset by this treatment that she wrote articles about segregation in the United States. She also began traveling into the South. She gave a talk at Fisk University, a historically black college in Nashville, Tennessee, on France, North Africa, and the equality of the races in France. She refused to perform for segregated audiences in the United States, although she was offered $10,000 by a Miami club. Good for her. The club eventually did meet her demands. As they should have. It should not have taken her holding them hostage to do it. Right. Her insistence on mixed audiences helped to integrate live entertainment shows in Las Vegas. After this incident, she began receiving threatening phone calls from people claiming to be from the KKK. Of course she did. But said publicly that she was not afraid of them. In 1951, Baker made charges of racism against Sherman Billingsley's Stork Club in Manhattan, where she had been refused service. Actress Grace Kelly, who was at the club at the time, rushed over to Josephine, took her by the arm, and stormed out with her entire party, vowing to never return. 
although she eventually did in 1956 with the Prince of Monaco. The two women became close friends after the incident. Josephine also worked with the NAACP. Her reputation as a crusader grew to such an extent that the NAACP had Sunday, May 20th, 1951, declared Josephine Baker Day. That's awesome. She was presented with lifetime membership with the NAACPA by Nobel Peace Prize winner Dr. Ralph Bunch. The honor she was paid spurred her to further her crusading efforts with the Save Willie McGee rally. McGee was a black man in Mississippi convicted of raping a white woman in 1945 on the basis of dubious evidence and sentenced to death. Like Emmett Till? Yep. Actually, he wasn't sentenced to death. He was straight up fucking murdered anyway. Yeah. Baker attended rallies for McGee and wrote letters to the governor of Mississippi asking him to spare McGee's life. Despite her efforts, McGee was executed in 1951. As the decorated war hero who was bolstered by the racial equality she experienced in Europe, she became increasingly regarded as controversial. Some black people even began to shun her, fearing that her outspokenness and racy reputation from earlier years would hurt the cause. In 1961, she spoke at the March on Washington at the side of Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. Josephine was the only female speaker. While wearing her free French uniform decorated with her medal of Legion d'Honneur, she introduced the Negro Women for Civil Rights. Rosa Parks and Daisy Bates were among those she acknowledged and both gave brief speeches. Not everyone involved wanted her present at the march. Some thought her time overseas had made her a woman of France, one who was disconnected from the civil rights issues going on in America. In her speech, one of the things Baker said was, I have walked into the palaces of kings and queens and into the houses of presidents and much more. But I couldn't walk into a hotel in America and get a cup of coffee, and that made me mad. You should. And when I get mad, you know that I open my big mouth. And then look out, because when Josephine opens her mouth, they hear it all over the world. I really like that part of the speech. <laughs> um, I love that. I'm living for that. And she should be mad that she can't go into a place in the U.S. and get a cup of coffee. It's bullshit. Right. After King's assassination, his widow, Coretta Scott King, approached Baker in the Netherlands to ask if she would take her husband's place as leader of the civil rights movement. After days of thinking it over, she declined, saying her children were too young to lose their mother. I mean, you have to respect that. Right. During her participation in the civil rights movement, Josephine began to adopt children forming a family which she often referred to as the Rainbow Tribe. She wanted to prove that children of different ethnicities and religions could still be brothers. She often took her children cross-country, and when they were at Chateau de Melandis, she arranged tours so visitors could walk the grounds and see how natural and happy the children were in the Rainbow Tribe. Oh, oh that's so cool. Her estate featured hotels, a farm, rides, and children singing and dancing for the audience. She charged an admission fee to visitors who entered and partook in the activities, which included watching the children play. She created dramatic backstories for them, picking them with clear intent in mind. At one point, she wanted and planned to adopt a Jewish baby, but she settled for a French one instead. I don't know about the whole backstories thing. That makes me uncomfortable. She also raised them in different religions in order to further her model for the world. Taking two children from Algeria and raising one child as Muslim and raising the other child as Catholic. Interesting. 
In her later years, Josephine converted to Catholicism. In 1968, she lost her chateau owing to unpaid debts. Oh. Afterwards, Princess Grace Kelly offered her an apartment in Rockbrune near Monaco. Because Princess Grace was a badass. Yeah. Josephine was back on stage at the Olympia in Paris in 1968 in Belgrade and at Carnegie Hall in 1973, and at the Royal Variety Performance at the London Palladium and the Gala du Cirque in Paris in 1974. On April 8, 1975, she starred in a retrospective review at the Babino in Paris, Josephine a Babino, 1975, celebrating her 50 years in show business. The review, financed by Prince Rainier, Princess Grace, and Jackie O. Of course, Jackie O is involved. Open to rave reviews. Demand for seating was such that fold-out chairs had to be added to accommodate spectators. The opening night audience included Mick Jagger, Diana Ross, and Liza Minnelli. Liza! Four days later, Josephine was found lying peacefully in her bed, surrounded by newspapers with glowing reviews of her performance. She was in a coma after suffering a cerebral hemorrhage. She was taken to the hospital, where she died at age 68 on April 12th. 1975. Baker received a full Catholic funeral, attracting more than 20,000 mourners, the only American-born woman to receive full French military honors at her funeral. Oh, that's amazing. In 2015, Josephine was inducted into the Legacy Walk in Chicago, Illinois, Again, I said it earlier. <laughs> I know. All roads lead back to St. Louis and Chicago. <laughs> right. <laughs> and in 2019, she was inducted in the Rainbow Honor Walk, a walk of fame in San Francisco's Castro neighborhood, noting LGBTQ people who have made significant contributions in their fields. And... May 2021, an online position was set up by writer Laurent Kaufman, asking that Josephine Baker be honored by being reburied at the Pantheon in Paris or being granted Pantheon honors, which would make her only the sixth woman at the mausoleum. That's awesome. In August 2021, the French president announced that Baker's remains would be reburied at the Pantheon in November 2021, following the petition and continued requests from Baker's family since 2013. Her son, Claude Bouillon Baker, told AFP that her body would remain in Monaco and only a plaque would be installed at the Pantheon. It was later announced that a symbolic casket containing soil from various locations that Josephine had lived, including St. Louis, Paris, the south of France, and Monaco, would be carried by the French Air and Space Force in a parade in Paris before a ceremony at the Pantheon, where the casket would be interred. The ceremony took place November 30th, 2021. And thus, Josephine became the first black woman to be honored in the secular temple to the great men of the French Republic. So, yeah, that was that was badass Josephine Baker. She was truly a badass. That's amazing. Questionable about the whole letting people pay to watch your kids thing. I There's a little more to that that's a little questionable as well. But we're celebrating badass we're women. We're going to celebrate badass, badass women. Things that they did, and, not yeah. the weird shit that they did. So I just kind of left that out. We've all done some weird things in our life. Oh, it was awesome. Thank you. I kn- that was really cool. I did not know any of that. So I didn't either. There's also a street in St. Louis that was renamed after her. Okay. For our home people, our homies, if you will. Did you know the guy who owns Four Hands Brewery's last name is Limp? 
I did not. I was reading an article this morning on Facebook because they're building a second location in Kirkwood. And it was like, I forget his name, his first name. We're just going to call him Joe. Joe Lemp. I was like, wait, what the fudge? I miss four hands. I can't get that here. Oh. So she was actually inducted into the St. Louis Walk of Fame in 1995 and into the Hall of Famous Missourians. St. Louis's Channing Avenue was renamed Josephine Baker Boulevard. And a wax sculpture of Baker is on permanent display at the Grove Museum of Black History in St. Louis. And if you want to go see the St. Louis Walk of Fame, it is in the Del Mar Loop by Blueberry Hill. Mm -hmm. Yep. And stop for food at Blueberry Hill. Or Fitz's. Yeah, Fitz's is good. But if you want a cocktail, like I always do. Go to Blueberry Hill. Fitz's has cocktails, too. But they're all like beer. But yeah, they're all like, you know, they're yeah homemade soda and stuff basically anything you find on the loop it's going to be good they got a rack and alleys on the loop that's new york style pizza so if you're in st louis check out the delmar loop you're gonna have a good time <laughs> but yeah it was funny when you were reading your story i was like of course she was a queer woman of color of course she was of course she died of a stroke in the early 70s of because, course she did because we basically well, she had a stroke <laughs> yeah like synchronicities yeah it's it's weird best friend telepathy yeah so but yeah that was really good good well done well done well done wikipedia hey you did a good job reporting what you found yeah yeah that's all all we have for you today we'll have another episode soon with that said, everybody, go check us out on our social media pages. Check out our website. We have two new affiliates, Hunt a Killer and Thrive Market. There are links posted on the Support Your Show page on our website that you should click and uh, help yourself to some discounts. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, eventually TikTok when I get around to not being lazy and doing it. And... <laughs> Yeah, that that that's yeah. it. That's all she wrote. If you have any questions, concerns, comments, stories you want to share, email us at horrendousstoppodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Or you can click the message us link through our website. Yeah. Honestly, the website, anything you want to know. Yeah, it's there. the website's got everything. We do blog posts when we release the new episodes, sharing some of our sources, pictures, videos, stuff of that nature. It's a good time. Check it out. It's free. All right. So that's it. Thank you, besties. Thanks, besties. Until next time. Bye. Bye.